good morning, good afternoon, good evening world. I am Reverend Adrian L. Robinson II, a.k.a. Rev. Rob, and this is Deeper in the Word, where we give you the real about Scripture with people who actually know and understand it so that you can get a better grasp of what certain things in the Bible mean, how they relate to your life and experience, and how you can apply something written so long ago to what you're going through right now. Listen, y'all, we want to thank everybody that's reached out to us and had so many wonderful things and comments about the show and everybody that subscribed to the show. Uh, Thank y'all so much. Um, The response has been more than I could have possibly imagined, and we're very grateful here. I truly believe that God's vision for this show was that A, his word go forth unfettered, okay, and that B, the people be heard. Now, that said, we here at Deeper in the Word want to remind all of our listeners that this show serves as a safe space for believers. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, if you look at society, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever platform, okay, social media, The reality is that oftentimes people will be completely outspoken on social or political issues, but when it comes to their faith, they kind of clam up, you know? People tend to shy away from discussing their faith in settings like that for whatever reasons. Now, usually it's because normally them's fighting words, (laughs) quite honestly. You know, people say stuff about your faith or you say something about them and then it gets into an argument and it gets ugly, okay? That's a big reason. A lot of times, though, it's because people are afraid to. Whether it's because they're not educated in their faith and they don't know what to say, I don't know. But oftentimes, they're just afraid. And we're not sure. So, that's not the case here, okay? Where certain times in society, there are times where people feel, especially on social media, like they can't say something based on the repercussions associated with having said it, okay? We're not about that here. When you have those opinions or those questions or those comments about your faith, we encourage you to voice them here. This is your safe space. Think of it that way. For instance, somebody might be like, yo, Rev. Rob, I do believe in God, don't get me wrong, but I just, I don't believe in Jesus. Or they might say, yeah, you know, I know Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, but Rev. Rob, I I can't rock with the way the church be acting, and that's why I don't go. And you know what? In either instance, that's fine if you feel that way, because we can work with those sensibilities because it shows a person's willingness to, number one, be honest about their feelings, and then number two, be transparent about their beliefs. And both of those are the first steps towards listening to and ultimately accepting the proper worldview to fit your perspective. That's also the proper way to set an internal atmosphere where you can invite the Holy Spirit in and start working. But we'll get into that in another show. But essentially, Hopefully, what this does is it also shows that 
People like that are open to reasonable and logical presentations of the world. Remember we talked about that before, of the word I should say. Remember we talked about that before, reason and logic. But hopefully it would show that these people are open to that so that they might have their minds changed. Because somebody with a closed mind ain't really going to entertain different thoughts. Nothing blocks the work of the Holy Spirit more than an obstinate heart. You know what I'm saying? A heart that's unwilling to change or see things differently. Nothing blocks the Holy Spirit's work more than that. And for that matter, nothing blocks a blessing like an obstinate heart. I mean, really, why would anybody want to do anything for someone who didn't appreciate it and acted like they never wanted it? You wouldn't do that for somebody. So why should God? The point is this. We value all opinions and comments on this show, even if we don't agree with them. See, that's one thing that all people, especially Christians, need to keep in mind. Just because people disagree with our ideology, that doesn't mean that we should condemn them or disparage them, talk stuff about them, or otherwise cast them aside. That's not what we do because that's not what Jesus would have done. Amen. Check it. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9, verse 38, the Apostle John says to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. So they were traveling and they had seen this guy casting out demons in Jesus' name, but he wasn't one of the disciples and he wasn't one of their followers. And so they're like, yo, He's using your name, Lord, to cast out demons. You want us to go get him? And this is what Jesus said to him in verse 39. He says, do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. So Jesus, in other words, was giving his disciples a lesson in tolerance here. All right. He was like, nah, yeah. Don't send the goons. Leave me alone. Because Jesus knew that no one can entirely condemn beliefs which make people good. Look at what he said. He said, no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. That means if you're doing stuff in my name, you know that it's good stuff. And there's no way you can speak ill will of my name because of all the good that is manifested. I mean, the guy, yeah, he was using Jesus' name without knowing Jesus. But he was doing something good. He was casting out demons in Jesus' name. And if you know Old Testament and Old Jewish and ancient cultures and their beliefs in demons and the casting out of demons, it was very, very serious. Not the way we view it today. But that's the sensibility there. Even Jesus knew that we all have a right to our own thoughts, y'all. We all have a right to think things out and to think them through until we come to our own conclusions and our own beliefs. And that is a right we should respect of all people because too often we'll condemn what we don't understand. And that's not cool. Now, somebody right now is going, but wait, Red Rob, you said that Jesus said that he is the only way to God. So why should you respect what other people believe? Well, yeah, he did say that, and that is what we believe as Christians. 
But that doesn't mean that we have to become intolerant to people who don't believe what we believe and go upside their head and all. That's not what that's about. And that's the point that's being made. Whether you are Muslim or whatever you believe, there should be a level of tolerance associated with, yeah, I don't believe what you believe, but I respect your right to believe it. Now, you don't beat me up with it and I won't beat you up with it. That's the bottom line, for real. That's what it's about to be tolerant. So what's most important, and Jesus knew that, is that ultimately, for people who claim to be righteous and that they're living for God and living for Christ, they'll show that in the way that they live their lives, okay? Life proves that, nothing else. The way you, the way you handle, deal with other people, the way you deal with life, the way you act out in public, the way you act with other people, the way you treat other people, that's going to prove it. That's what's going to prove it. Nothing else. So if you're a believer, don't argue with others about what you believe, y'all. Even if they try to clown you for what you believe. Let how you live dictate what you believe. And let that speak for you. Because that's what people remember about you as a person of faith. How you went about living your life. And if you live for Christ and emulate and uh, emulate all that he did, who's got anything justifiably bad to say about you? Amen? Well, I wish I wanted to get that out the way. So now on to today's show. Y'all ever heard somebody quote something all confidently from the Bible? And you're thinking to yourself like, dude, That's not what that means. Now, believe it or not, that happens all the time. And it's important we understand how detrimental it is because really what most people think a Bible verse means has an effect on what they think the Bible is saying. Okay. In other words, if you misinterpret the meaning, you misunderstand the message. It's only when we study the Bible in context and fill our lives with scripture, fill our lives with scripture, that we're able to get a proper view of God and the work that he wants to do in our lives. Now, let me say this. This is only effective if we actually believe that the Bible is the unadulterated word of God, which, of course, we do. We believe that all 66 books of the Bible were inspired and authored by the Holy Spirit of God using 40 human beings as the instruments through which he composed it. So this is God speaking here, not just some collection of sayings or one-liners that have lasted out over the centuries. Now, that's why we gotta approach the Bible with extreme care and intentionality. That's an important word. How the Bible is properly read, memorized, and quoted is of utmost importance. Now, unfortunately, Christians often misunderstand, misquote, or misuse verses in the Bible, like we've been saying. That's the subject and title of our show, straight out of context. For example, we may turn to the concordance in the back looking for a particular verse for a particular subject, and then, or we'll Google it, and then it'll give us some suggest sums that we can use. And then we'll find our favorite one and be like, ooh, that sounds good. That sounds like it'll apply to my situation. And then you just start quoting it. 
or we hear other people misquoting verses and they sound right in the moment because we don't know they're misquoting it, but they sound, they sound right in the moment. So then we start spreading the misuse of that verse without taking the time to study the, ver- the verse in its proper context. So we're going to explore our first biblical verse taken completely out of context. And we're going to do that after the break. And we're back. Welcome back to Deeper in the Word. As a reminder, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Pocket Casts, and on Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, excuse me, in the iTunes Store. Today's show is entitled Straight Out of Context. Crazy young preacher named Rev Rob from the <laughs> We're talking about the most misquoted and misused and abused Bible, Bible excuse me, Bible verses. So this is how we're gonna do this. I'm going to read the verse, then we're going to discuss what people think it means, or rather how it's taken straight out of context, then we're going to discuss what it actually means. And for each of these verses, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and perhaps we'll do a future show on that topic, the best Bible versions to consult, because that is really important, but anyway... Let's get into this list of some of the most misquoted and misused and abused Bible verses of all time. First, now first, we're going to give y'all this one for free. This don't even count as part of the list, okay? This is just one I want to point out off top because it's so misquoted, okay? Let's look at 1 Timothy 6.10, which says, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves with many pangs. I love that word, pang. Now read that again. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It says the love of money. So many people quote this verse out of context and say, well, the Bible has said that money is the root of all evil. No, it doesn't. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. And then it makes clear reference to that love in the next verse because it calls it a craving. Okay? Read that again. The next verse. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Okay, it's saying you don't idolize money. First of all, y'all, money in and of itself cannot be evil because money is amoral. It's neither right nor wrong. It's it's just money. Like you can't sit a hundred dollar bill in a chair and be like, so Benjamin, tell us your thoughts on the collapse of the German Duschmark. No, money has no moral sense and therefore it lacks the capacity to be evil by itself, or in and of itself. Now, more to the point, a love of money is tied to the concept, really, of idolatry. And idolism, or worshiping idols, is one of the top things that God can't stand. Remember the Ten Commandments. The very first one makes this clear. What does it say? Thou shalt 
or thou shalt have no other gods before me. When you idolize something, you essentially make it your God. And in a lot of ways, you can put it before the true God. When you start to put money over everything else in your life, the pursuit of it, that craving for it, then you've elevated it to the status of idol in your life. And again, idolism is abhorrent to God. The Bible is full of such inferences where God punishes people for their idolism. So this verse is about idolization, about seeking earthly or fleshly things before seeking the things of God. That's why the Apostle Paul uses the word translated as craving in this verse. And see, that's something that you'll see with all of these misquoted, misunderstood verses that we're going to go into today. That people quote them out of context because they didn't even read the whole verse. If you read verse 39, you see the word craving, you're like, oh, it changes the meaning and the dynamic of the verse. And that's what people do. They don't read the whole verse. Or worse yet, y'all, they deliberately leave out other parts of verses in order to fit their agendas or their platforms or whatever. And they'll twist it. But keep that in mind as we move forward, okay? So, all right, this next verse we want to look at is Philippians 4.13. And it reads, y'all familiar with this one? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, this verse is often very much taken out of context because people think that it means that I'm unstoppable as long as I believe in the Lord. Like, this verse has nothing to do with you scoring a touchdown. And you, this first and 10, you like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that you about to automatically run for a 90-yard score. Or that you about to dunk on somebody seven foot. Because you're like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No. That personalizes the verse. Like God is some genie, and that's not what it does. Now, that's out of context of people taking it. In its proper context, though, this verse is talking about the Apostle Paul and how he's under house arrest, and he's getting, he's waiting trial. He's awaiting trial because he could be possibly put to death for preaching on the resurrection of Jesus, okay? But instead of being defeated, by these circumstances. He's using this opportunity to teach, uh, excuse me, to teach the church at Philippi that he can endure any and every circumstances and all the ups and all the downs and all the highs and all the lows because he has a strength that only comes from Christ. This supernatural strength to endure everything, every season, all situations is always with him, he's saying, because the Holy Spirit is always with him, even in prison. And that's what that verse really truly means. And really, we can take heart in that because essentially his circumstances dictated that despite the persecution, I can make it through. That's not the same as Lord, help me score this touchdown. 
So that's one of those key ideologies that God, God wants us to get that people miss. That in your suffering, take heart in Christ because he has overcome the world. But then again, you don't hear a lot being preached about suffering from many pulpits, but I won't go there. And we won't get into that discussion. But let's move on to this next verse. Jeremiah 29, 11. Another one that is often misquoted, taken out of context. And it reads, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. And people take this to mean God God has plans to prosper you. And this verse is normally given, like maybe when somebody's getting, you know, they're graduating or they're moving on and they're moving to a new city and their job mates, stuff like that. Or maybe some during a difficult time that people hear this. As a standalone promise, it looks like God exists to make us all popular and rich and healthy and powerfully well-known. Because look, his plans are to give you a hope and a future. Plans for welfare, not for evil. What does welfare mean? It can mean healthy, happy. It could also mean rich. People can and have interpreted it that way. Now, that's how it's quoted out of context. Like, oh, God is going to make all of my dreams come true. It's the American dream, and God wants us all to live it, even in other countries. God wants other countries to live the American dream. That's this ideology that they put behind this verse when they take it out of context. And when you look in its proper context, the word translated prosper here is the Hebrew word shalom, which is a really deep theological word with a lot of facets to it. But it can mean completeness, safety, peace, welfare, and yes, prosperity. But again, we have to look at verses in context in order to properly interpret them. And this promise, and the reason, the main reason why it's taken out of context is because this promise was not given to an individual. Okay, it was given to a people group, the Hebrews specifically exiled in Babylon. See, they were in exile because they had rejected God. He had warned them. Jeremiah had warned them. Many prophets had warned them. Repent or it's going to get bad. Prophets warned them for years. And that's the thing God does. The Bible says God does not want to see anyone destroyed, but wants to see everyone come to repentance. That means he'll give you a lot of chances. And he did that if you read the Old Testament. Prophets came, warned the people all the time. Like, y'all better get it together. God is mad and he ain't going to wait too much longer. Okay? So, they constantly rejected God and that's why they were sent to exile in Babylon. So, they're in exile and their outlook was gloomy because, I mean, they were, their homeland was destroyed and they were captured and enslaved. Didn't look good. But God reassured his people that he would bring them back to Israel and fulfill all the promises that he had made to them before. He just wasn't going to do it for another 70 years. Okay. He basically promised them that he had not given up on them 
and that even though stuff looked dire, they still had, quote, a future and a hope. So the word prosper here, remember we told you it was multifaceted. It doesn't refer to money or material blessings. It refers to the physical and spiritual salvation that they would have experienced by having hope in the time of gloom. That's what that means. It's an amazing promise that God is not done with his people, but that their future and hope was found only in him. We can see that too, that he will see his plans through and his people get to be a part of those plans. Through inheritance, through adoption, we get to be a part of those plans now as a people. But notice it, again, suffering. They were going through suffering and he was giving them hope. This ain't about no all y'all rich and it definitely wasn't toward an individual taken out of context. That's one of the huge problems. Now, why is this all important? This idea about God and his promises and the idea of giving them future and hope? Because when people misquote this verse, they usually do it in support of some old grandiose ideology that God wants us to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But remember, we said that word peace here is shalom, meaning that God people are secure in a place of peace and safety because he is faithful to his promises. That's what that means. And it may not always include money and health, but God's plans will nonetheless always include shalom, peace and completeness with God. That's what that means. So that's two down and we got a few more to go. Now, this next verse is one that actually has hip-hop connotations attached to it. And it's one you've heard attached to one of the most famous rappers in history. So we're going to get our pop on when we come back from the break. Are you looking to complete a home purchase? Whether you're a buyer or a seller, Meister Home Inspections, or MHI, offers professional and accurate home inspection services throughout the Northeast Atlanta area that provide home buyers and sellers, as well as their agents, with the information they need to successfully complete any home purchase. Visit their website at mhihomeinspection.com, that's mhihomeinspection.com to learn more, or to set up your home inspection appointment today. Welcome back to Deeper in the Word, where today we're talking about Bible verses taken straight out of context. Now, I hinted before the break that we were going to get our Tupac on with this next verse. That verse is Matthew 7, verse 1, and you are all familiar with it, or you should be, and it reads, judge not that you be not judged. First of all, note exactly what this verse says. Judge not that you be not judged. Judge not that you be not judged. So note that first. Secondly, note what it doesn't say. And we're going to get into that in a second. So y'all, we live in a time when people claim that they value tolerance above everything else, 
That is unless, of course, someone disagrees with our beliefs or our lifestyles or our opinions. Then all that tolerance goes up right out the window. Like, let somebody try to tell you what you should or shouldn't do, think or believe, or that their lifestyle or mindset may lead to their ruin or downfall the way they're acting. And when we do that, what's the first thing somebody will shout out? They say, only God can judge me, right? I mean, to where people even get that tattooed on themselves. Only God can judge me. But see, here's the problem. And I'm quoting an author here. This is Tupac theology, not biblical theology. And like I said before, note what this verse does not say. Judge not lest ye be judged. It don't say only God can judge me. Look, taken in context, this verse is not a warning against speaking out against certain actions or behaviors. That's not what that's about. Like in other places of scripture, it tells us that we'll know them by their fruit. Okay? So we ain't gonna call them out. No. Matthew 7 is a warning against self-righteousness and hypocrisy. Judge not, lest ye be judged. It's saying that if we're going to correct somebody, then we need to expect to be held to that same standard. If we judge with aggression, then we can expect to be judged with aggression. And Matt, in the couple verses later, verses three to uh, five, Jesus says to his disciples, why do you see that speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Man, can you imagine Jesus calling you a hypocrite to your face? You'd be like, dang, I'm sorry, Lord. But he was saying, even though we remove the plank in our own eye, we need to remove the speck out of our other eye, which ultimately means, in so many words, check yourself before you wreck yourself. Before you come at somebody else's neck, check yourself. That's really what that means, because whatever you're coming at them for, what, you think somebody can't come at you for something, you think you're perfect, that's really what that means. I mean, how can you sit in judgment of another person when you trifling your dog on self? What kind of sense does that make? It doesn't. Okay? Let's look at one last verse today. All right? One last verse. People out Romans 8, uh, 28. Chapter 8, verse 28. It says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Quite frankly, people, and quite briefly, taking this out of context, people take it to mean that God works everything out for our good. It's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. God works everything out for the good. Now, if you look at it in its proper context, though, again, the good referenced in this verse is further clarified in verse 29, the next verse. 
But people miss that part because, again, like I said, one of the main causes of misquoting scripture is failing to read and contextualize the whole passage. We talked about that. Now, peep what verse 29 says. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. See there? Y'all see that? See how that changes the meaning of the text? It's saying God works all things out for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That means that this promise is almost exclusively for those whose lives have been or are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Period. And just like many of the other verses we've highlighted today, the frequent misquotation of this verse reflects an arrogant, egocentric view of the world and of God's word. People have a tendency to think that because God loves us, every problem will be resolved in the way we think is best. After all, I mean, he loves us and he wants to work things out for us, right? Ain't that what you're saying? According to this verse, right? Huh? God's view is higher than ours. Look at what the prophet Isaiah said in chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. He said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. That's God saying that. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. This is God talking. And my thoughts than your thoughts. God is saying, you ain't me. Know your role. (laughs) You'll never know my mind, but I'll know yours because I made you. And really, most of the time, the best thing for us, for our sanctification, really, which is the process that we use. That, sanctification is the process where you walk to try to become more and more like Christ every day. Because we'll never get it right because it was perfect. But sanctification is that process, that journey. Sometimes the best thing for our sanctification might be the exact opposite of what we're wishing for. Y'all understand me? Getting a no to something you really want, a burning desire, might be the exact thing that causes you to lean deeper into Christ and ask for God to guide over your life. And he knows that. It's his amazing way to continue working out his salvation plan in our lives by making us more like Jesus every day through every big and little thing. And essentially, that's what that verse means. So as we've seen today, when you do a careful study of the Bible, it allows you to gain a deeper understanding of what God is, who God is, and what he wants for our lives. And so next time somebody misquotes one of these passages to you, you can now gently point them to the more beautiful truths found in a proper understanding of scripture. See, remember though, when you point out the misquotes to people, do it in love. Not like a smart aleck, not like a know-it-all. Well, I told you, you should have looked it up. I told you, don't do that. You're not going to convince people of the gospel's power to work in their lives 
when you're judging them for not believing that already or for not knowing something already. (laughs) Y'all feel me? That's why it's so critical to properly represent what God has said. Remember what we said initially. If you misinterpret the meaning, you misunderstand the message. And if you misunderstand the message, then you preach or you say it wrong. And then you give off a misunderstood message to other people. And now they walked around with the wrong idea. God doesn't want his word misrepresented, y'all. Think about it. You tell somebody something and days later they tell it to somebody else and you find out that they did and there's a complete twist on it that you never even said it meant. It's funny, there's an episode of The Simpsons. Yes, I watched The Simpsons. I love it. There's an episode of The Simpsons where the teachers go on strike and they're standing outside getting ready to strike and Bart, of course, doesn't want them to come back so he wants to stir them up to keep striking because they're getting ready to kind of resolve it. And so he starts at one end of the line, it's a long line of teachers, he starts at one end of the picket line and he spreads a rumor saying, oh, the principal think you guys are gonna fold soon. And it spreads from person to person like they all whisper in each other's ears all the way down the line. And when it gets to the end of the line, the guy says to the, to the picket leader, Skinner says we're going to, Skinner's the principal, <clears throat> He says, Skinner says we're going to fold purple monkey dishwasher. (laughs) Meaning it had changed and those three words had been added by the end of the line through all those people. What was initially said initially was not what was manifested and said at the end. And the meaning could have been changed. In that instance, it wasn't. In the instance of the Bible, it often is. So, like I said, you wouldn't want somebody to twist your words. You'd be mad. You think that don't make God mad? Praise God, he doesn't show it. Hey, man, listen, as always, we want to thank everybody for tuning in, for all the wonderful comments, and for just showing us so much love. And don't forget, you can subscribe and listen to us on Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Radio Public, and Pocket Cast, and on the Apple uh, Podcast in the iTunes Store. Also, you can find us at benevolentfaithministries.org as well as our uh, WordPress blog, Abiding in the Vine. You can also find us on Facebook under that same name, Abiding in the Vine. Listen, it's been real. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch you all next time. Holla.